Hi, welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. What's up, y'all? How are we doing today? Good, good, good. Hey, who's excited about, I cannot believe we won? Is that not crazy? I never win anything. Do you guys, anyone else feel that way? You're like, you entered in like thousands of sweepstakes, you're like, and you didn't get it again. But hey, God is kind to us. I love it. I mean, just the amazing things he's done for us. The two big gifts, if you remember last year, that helped do all the renovation in these buildings over here. Amazing, thank you, Jesus. And then this as well, absolutely incredible. To pile on what Josh said, uh, what Josh was talking about is, I love in Genesis when Jacob wakes up from a dream and he wakes up and he's in the presence of God and he says, how awesome is this place? I was standing in the house of the Lord and I didn't even know it. And ultimately, that's what we wanna make this place to be, uh, that God's spirit would be here through creativity, through all the beautiful ways that we can uh, glorify through, through art, through creativity, through sound, through the music. Man, I want people to come here. Uh, can I get an amen from somebody? And they're like, man, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. So uh, bring all your friends, invite everybody. I'm excited. So uh, we are in Revelation. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jared. I am not the lead pastor. That would be my man, Jared. Jeremiah Semler. Can we please give it up for our lead pastor? Yes, he has taken uh, the week off, but is back here uh, next week. Excited for that. If you're new to church, uh, we've been in, or City View specifically, we've been in this series uh, titled uh, Thriving Church, where we're going through uh, the book of Revelation. So what I want to do, uh, we're going to get into uh, one of the most uh, kind of intense letters that Jesus uh that Jesus speaks about in Revelation to his church. And uh, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna tell a story, and then we will jump in from there. Sound good? All right, let's get it. God, I just thank you so much for today. I, uh, I'm so uh, I just, just humbled, Lord, that you would uh, always just be in the midst of just our gathering. And Lord, that you would just that you speak to us, that uh, as David said, Lord, that you've, you've shown us that you're real, would you continue to do so? Lord, I pray that all the, the prayers that we had mentioned for people that we want to know you, God, I ask that you would, uh, you would answer those prayers. We know you're already answering them and, and working on the people that we have spoke about today and we thought about in our heart, uh, but God, I pray that some of the people that we prayed out loud for this year would be the year they come to know you. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would fill this place with your spirit. You'd do something that um, just no, no, no man can do, no, no, no sermon could do, but God, you can, with your presence, change everything in an instant. I pray for um, healing in this place. I pray for encouragement in this place. People watching online, I just ask, God, that you would speak to us through your word. Maybe we'd be built up, encouraged, uh, and just sent out to do what you've called us to do. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Uh, have, ha, have you ever driven out of your way to get some type of food or drink? How many of you, will, you will drive out of your way, you're like, I've got to get that drink, that beverage, that food, whatever it is. Uh, my guilty pleasure is coffee. How many coffee fans out there? Uh, let's just do a poll of the room. How many of our big Starbucks fans? We got some Starbucks fans. Okay, we like the dark roast. How about Dutch Bros? We got some Dutch. Oh, Dutch Bros is a church favorite. Blackrock. Uh, okay, we, we're mixing it up, and some everyone's like. 
forget that, my house, right? <laughs> Folgers, baby, we, we, or whatever you're doing, you know. Uh, I also love the, the, the house coffee as well. Uh, you know, I, 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 I did this one day, I'll tell you this story, I'm on my way to work, and you know when you, feel, you wake up, you're feeling good, you're like, man, I'm gonna treat myself today. I'm gonna go get that drink, even though it's kind of out of the way. I wanna go get this coffee that I love from a place. I will not say what it was, uh, but I wanted a nitro cold brew. I love nitro cold brew. All in its $8 worth or how much they charge you these days, right? So uh, I'm on my way. I, I, I get there. I'm chatting it up with the people. Life's good, amazing. I'm going to work and I put my drink in uh, my truck in the little uh, the cup holder, and I remember going, I'm not even gonna sip this thing. I'm gonna wait till I'm in my office chair just to have that you know, moment in the morning to be like, just take your first sip, and you're like, man, life is good. Paid $8 for this, not so good. But anyway, uh, so I get to, get to, uh, to, to work, and uh, I, I had this, this, what they say on ESPN, they call it uh, in basketball, it's a, it's a bang, bang play, right? It's, it's two things that happen really fast. Uh, as I was going to have this moment of, of sipping my coffee, uh, as I was sipping it, at the same time as the coffee was coming through the, through the, through the cup, uh, I had smelt something that was off. Something, it, it would just, it's not normal. You know, you drink coffee, there's a certain scent to the coffee, right? And the moment that the coffee hit my lips, I had a realization that the milk was spoiled in my $8 drink, to which I, I was like, I spit it everywhere. I was disgusted. Like, and the worst part is I think I ingested a little bit of it. So then it kind of makes you nauseous. Like the rest of the day, you're like, oh, I don't even know if I want to drink water or eat food. Like, what if that, what's, what's going to happen to me? And here's the thing. I love cold brew. I would still go back to this place. Like, I, I really would. I, I really don't know how that happens. I'm like, aren't you burning through milk like all the time? But here nor there, uh, in the same way that that drink made me sick, this is the craziest thing, is that there are churches that make Jesus sick. There, there are churches that, Jesus, that, that, that make Jesus sick. Now, if you're a skeptic, you're like, wait, that's in the scriptures? You're like, I kind of like that. That's kind of, okay. I, I felt this way about church too. Uh, but maybe if you're a former skeptic like me, if you were to make a man-made religion, why on earth would you write some of these letters in the scriptures? Am I right? But the reality is that the story from Genesis to Revelation is consistent the whole way through, is that humanity is broken and in need of a savior, right? And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna jump into uh, our text. I'm gonna talk about, really give you a, a roadmap of where we're going, and we'll go from there. So, uh, Revelation 3.14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the truth, the so be it, the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you are were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, 
so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Change your mind. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So here's the big idea for today. Here's what I want you to know. Here is the lie that we believe. The lie that we believe is our natural ability, our power, our grind, and our success is a sign of our spiritual state and effectiveness. Or said another way, it's very easy to confuse the success that I have on the outside as an actual inward reflection on what's happening on the inside. But Jesus would, say this, would tell us in this passage here that the two can be incongruent. Here's why I want you to know that. I want you to know this because ultimately, as believers, our flourishing in this life and our effectiveness in this life is a direct result of our fellowship and our intimacy with Jesus. We'll talk more about that. We'll unpack that here in a little bit. But here's where, I want you, where we're going today. I'm gonna start by saying, I wanna share three things that Jesus is not saying in this passage that I think are really imperative. The second thing I wanna talk about is I wanna talk about the real problem of this church. And lastly, we'll talk about the antidote. So if you like taking notes, here, I, I, I got your back today. We'll start with three things that Jesus is not saying. He's not saying, ready? Number one, we have to deconstruct some misnomers in this text before we build it up, right? First thing, Jesus is not saying that he was created by God. Check this out in verse 14. It says, and to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now, if you don't know anything about other belief systems uh, that may claim to be Christian, uh, this is a verse that is often utilized specifically to show that God is, that Jesus was created. Now, the problem with that is if you actually look at the meaning of what this means, the beginning of God's creation, the word is actually preeminent, which means that he was before things existed. Before creation happened, Jesus was there. This is why I would say it's extremely important to know this, because when people say that Jesus was created, it distorts everything in Scripture. And here's why it really matters, is because ultimately, if you think that Jesus was created, then our faith becomes about becoming good and exalted like Jesus versus Jesus coming down to you and to me. It becomes how do I get better and how do I become perfect? Because if Jesus was created, that means I can attain his perfection too. And the problem is then it becomes about us trying to get up to God rather than God coming down to us. So important. You know this, that Christianity is the only identity in the universe that is received and not achieved. It's a huge difference. This is not about good people getting better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about God saving bad people, aka us, across the board. And so it's imperative to know that this is not saying that Jesus created. Because the, the key thing, if, if you're new to church and scripture, uh, make sure that your scripture has to interpret scripture. 
Meaning you can easily take a verse and, and sort it to your interpretation or whatever uh, the belief system is, but scripture has to interpret scripture. Check out what John says in John uh, 1. He says, in the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word, Jesus was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, shall not, will not overcome it. Scripture has to interpret Scripture. Paul says this in Colossians. I love Colossians 1. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, which is to say, if you want to know what God the Father looks like, look at his son. The firstborn of all creation, another verse people like to twist. Oh, it says firstborn, meaning he was, he was created and then, no, 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 no. Same thing applies, preeminent. He was before all things. Check this out. Firstborn of all creation, for by him, by him, all things were created. In heaven, so the skies, the earth, the heaven, and on earth, what is visible, what we can't see, where the thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him, which is an amazing thing because that means that you and I are created by God for God, which is just amazing good news. I'm not just created by God. I actually have a purpose. I was created for him. Uh, uh, the, when we are connected with the Lord, that is like the, the, the highest level of living, right? And it says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. It's like, man, we literally only have breath because of what Jesus is doing right now. We can't even, we can't do anything on our own. Let's not get it twisted. It is because of Jesus and only because of Jesus you and I are here today. Second thing, Jesus is not saying that you can lose your salvation. This is gonna be the biggest one today. When people read this, this letter to, to this church, they start to freak out. They get a little nervous. I wanna, I wanna dispel that. Verse 15, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, uh, I remember I was at a wedding years ago and I was talking to a psychologist and they are a psychologist in an area or region uh, that uh, has a unique belief system and uh, there is no, like, it's about you need to do enough good things, and hopefully by the end of your life, you and God will be good. Now, the problem with that thinking is that creates a lot of challenges and an existential crisis in people's life. So I go, it's okay, so you see that type of person. I go, what, 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 what do you see them for? He goes, or she says, she goes, every one of them thinks that they're going to hell. And I'm like, that makes sense. Because if it's all about I have to do, 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 do to make myself right with God, where's the line? How do I know if I've fallen away, am I still okay? But thank God, he says that he is a father. And I don't know if you know anything about good and, 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 and think about a perfect father, but there is nothing a son or a daughter that can do to stop being a someone's kid. Amen? If there is a good and perfect father, if God is father, the perfect and heavenly holy one, if you are his kid, that is it. 
There ain't no, un, you can't un, unkid yourself, right? Unfriend yourself, right? Like your salvation is clear as day. And so what some people will say is they will take this verse and go, this is what Jesus is saying. They will interpret it to say, Jesus is saying that you would, he would rather you be white hot, fervent following Jesus or not know him at all. And you know what that does when, when, we, when we read that and interpret it that way? That puts a lot of pressure on us. And all of a sudden I go, oh my gosh, am I not doing enough? Like, is Jesus gonna spit, my, spit me out of his mouth? No, 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 that's not what he's saying. Remember, scripture has to interpret scripture. Check this out, First Peter. Actually, Second Peter 3, 8 through 9. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Of what? Sin, to change their mind, to say, ah, I can't save myself, I need a savior. He's saying, I don't, he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, he wants everyone to repent. So then what is Jesus talking about here? What he's actually referring to is the city's water problems. Very interesting. Uh, where Laodicea is, nearby is a place called Hierapolis, which was known for their hot springs. Uh, nearby as well, it's kind of a tri-city area, uh, was Colossae. Colossae was known for their cold water. Now, if you obviously, we know, hot water is an amazing thing, right? Nothing like a hot shower. Or we wash our hands to, with hot water to kill bacteria. We boil water, hot water to uh, cleanse things, etc. cetera. On the, on the flip side, uh, cold water is refreshing. Who doesn't love a fresh, cold water, etc. Or even how many cold plunge fans in the room, right? We know that cold plunge, hey, it decreases the inflammation. You people feel good after. So, so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you know about Laodicea, you'll understand that because of the geography of the city, the water had to be piped in from a hot spring. The problem was by the time the water got to the city, it was lukewarm. But not just lukewarm, it came via aqueducts, which would gather a lot of minerals and nasty things. Uh, I liken it to like, I'm not really a fan of Maricopa County water. It's kind of like that. Or you could say Flint, Michigan water. Like whatever like can get the, 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 the idea across. Like it's not good and it does make people sick. And so what Jesus is saying when he says, I'll spit you out of my mouth, he's saying like, it makes me wanna vomit because the water in that city was not good. And so if he's saying you're not hot water and that's like, kills bacteria, you're not cold and refreshing that decreases inflammation, you're neither. What is Jesus saying? He's saying as a church, you're not effective. It's not about your salvation. He's saying you're not effective. And I'll come back to this after this last point. Last thing Jesus isn't saying. Jesus is not saying that all rich people are evil. Verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Why I felt it's important to, to, to talk about this is because in my generation and younger, there's a prevailing belief pushed through our culture that there are only two types of people. There are either evil rich people and there are good poor people. 
There are only two categories in what is pushed through my generation and younger. We basically say, hey, if you have money, man, you're evil, you must have done something. And if you don't, uh, that must mean you're perfect, et cetera, et cetera. The problem with that is that there's actually four categories. There's four categories of people. There are godly rich people and there are ungodly rich people. There are godly poor people and there's ungodly poor people. This is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel does says this, uh, that if you are socioeconomically poor, like Jesus said to the church in Smyrna, he says, you are poor, but in parentheses, do you remember? He says, but you're rich. You're rich in Christ. So the gospel is for all socioeconomic statuses. It's for all tribes, all tongues, all nations. And so the gospel says to the poor, it lifts them up and says, despite what, how much money or resources you have here, you are rich in Christ. You have the inheritance because of what Jesus has done for you. He builds up the poor. Blessed are the poor for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. And in the flip side, the gospel humbles those of us that have resources and would be quote unquote rich because the gospel goes, man, I'm not all that. Man, I, God, thank you so much for giving me the gift of business. Some of y'all, you can see opportunities in ways other people can't see. There's a way you just know how to make money. And here's the best part. It humbles the rich to say, you know what? Like, man, God, thank you so much and help me to be a good steward. Al, we, we know people that are godly and rich. And man, if you and I were to switch places with them, I don't think you and I could match their generosity. Because the reality is generosity is not dependent on what's in your paycheck, it's dependent on what's in your heart, right? And so there's some rich people that are so generous, but we also know some ungodly rich people, right? Who, who came to their, their riches in ways you'd be like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I rock with that. Or in the same way, people that don't have money, the poor, there are godly poor people. This would have been Jesus. He is the, he's the perfect godly and poor, and yet we do know some people that may not have money, ungodly, unwise, etc. Remember, there's more, he's not calling out rich people here. This is one thing I love, this verse that, that, that uh, Paul says to Timothy. He says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Just don't be prideful. Humble yourself nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And if we have money here, anyone that has it, here's the, here's the scoop. He says this, you're to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life, right? So Jesus is not saying that he was created. He is not saying that you can lose your salvation. He is not taking a, a, a dig at, at people that have money. What's the real problem with this church? It's their spiritual state. And their spiritual state was that of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. I so always tell this quote, uh, it's by Charles Hummel. It says this, but the root of all sin any time that we miss the mark in our life is from self-sufficiency. It's taking matters into our own hands. We want things on uh, our timeline, how we want it outside of God's scope, you name it. And so the interesting thing is self-sufficiency is celebrated by our culture, but it's rejected in the kingdom of God. It's when we disconnect from the source, from the one who created us, 
And it's when you and I seek our kingdom first rather than his. And some people, they might take self-sufficiency so far as to choose to live your life, do life on your terms. You make the rules of what is right, what is wrong. You become the arbiter of truth. And you say, rather than living under what God has said, I decide to step under and live what I want to do. The problem with self-sufficiency, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, is that you are putting a burden on your soul that you and I were never meant to bear. Here's why. Because if, if, if it's all about self-sufficiency, that means it's all up to you. If you got yourself in the room, better keep yourself in the room. You got your, you've been grinding, you got the promotion. Well, you better, you better not slip up for a second or you're gonna lose it. And all of a sudden, you can't even sleep well because it's all up to you. Meanwhile, what Jesus says, or what Scripture says, Isaiah 64, 4, like uh, that God works for those who wait for him. So even while I'm sleeping, he is working. But in self-sufficiency, I can't even sleep because it's up to me. I've got to control everything. And what happens is creates a lot of angst in our heart and a burden in our soul that we are not meant to have. And self-sufficiency doesn't just come for the individual, it comes for the uh, nations, it comes for churches, and it definitely always comes for us. For society, for instance, uh, have you ever thought about like the Israelites' journey through the Old Testament? What I think is interesting is the Israelites will have amazing moments of prosperity. And for whatever reason, just like us, the human condition, we go, I mean, God's cool, but... Like, I really want that thing because that will make me feel better. That will be the thing that gives me the status. That will be the thing that, that finally, if that's what I'm missing, right? And over and over and over in the Old Testament, what does it say? That they did what was right in their own eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. And I don't know about you, but that is the culture that we live. Do what's right in your own eyes. Do what's right in your own eyes. And guess what happens all throughout history and all throughout the future if we continue to do so? Chaos will ensue every single time. There'll be a little cycle behind me. I use a kind of a recycle imagery. Uh, what I, what I, you'll see throughout scripture is that there's a time of peace where in, in, for Israel specifically, it's like there's peace and there's, a, there's amazing uh, things that God has brought them through. And then what happens that you see through scripture is the next portion is we have, to have that moment that we have where we go, man, I, wanna, I want this. If I can, I need, I want, I want this thing. And we start to, to, to go rogue and to worship false gods. It's about that power, it's about that sex, it's about that money, it's about that status, whatever it is, right? And then what happens is in Israel, literal physical oppression happens. But in our same day today, our, it just happens spiritually. We may not be physically bound, but we become emotionally and spiritually bound. But here's the best part, the, the good news, is that there's always time to repent. There's always time when we have moved ourselves away from connecting with the Lord to go, Lord, I am so sorry. He goes, he's right there, right next to us the whole time going, all right, let's keep walking. There's always a time for repentance. But this not only affects a nation, it will affect churches as we see here in the letter. I think it's interesting in Judges 2.10, it says this, 
and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. It's specifically talking about the Israelites who had seen what God has done. They had seen his glory. They'd seen this amazing things of what he has brought them through. But then it says this, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And I think in the same way that that can happen to a nation, it happens to churches. That the same, um, that there are, there are many mainline churches today uh, that may have beautiful buildings, maybe a lot of words in their names, et cetera, uh, that through certain theological missteps and, and just little things, as we've talked through Revelation, little bit of toleration here, little bit of switching up here, little get here, and then all of a sudden, I've been hearing preachers lately who are st- sitting up at a place like this in a church preaching, and you start to hear the message, and I was listening to one recently, it was what Jesus really came to say is he really was about, you gotta be yourself. And I go, yep, it's not far off where Jesus will be outside that church and knock on the door and say, do you wanna add me in? I know you have church on your name and on your building, but I'm not there. And so there's many of these churches, but here's the beauty, it's not us. Like, you hear the prayers today? The Lord is in this place. Like, it's a, we to be encouraged, but the reminder to us individually is to make sure we keep watch on that self-sufficiency and pride where we go, yeah, we can do church, we can do prayer, we can do worship, but not actually be connected to the source is the warning here. So check this out. For the individual, here's what Jesus says in verse 17. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. And then he says this, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What I think is so interesting about Jesus right here is he is saying that you don't realize it because you're not aware. And I love that God in his kindness gives us truth to bring awareness to where we are so that we can repent, right? I love that God is so kind that way that he brings it and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm really missing the mark there. Sorry, Lord, like back to walking with you in this area of my life. And so in psychology, we would call this cognitive dissonance, where you, you have, you believe, think, do things in one hand, but in the other, you, you live contrary. There's an incongruence uh, in our life. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying is, you're saying that you're, oh, I'm, oh, I'm awesome, man. Oh, man, I, I, I don't need help. <laughs> Prayer request? Nah, dude, I've got, I'm good. Man, no, no, I, I'm, I'm great. Like, no, I, I'm, I'm gold, like golden. I don't really, yeah, I don't even need anything. I, you know, everything's all good, good, good to go. But in the reality, I love the two words here. It says wretched and pitiable. If you were to tra- like translate another way, it actually means unhappy and miserable. You're unhappy, you're miserable. And Jesus is like, you're saying this stuff on the outside, but let's be honest, you're unhappy and you're miserable. Come on, Right? And so I have this uh, image behind me. It's an image I, I love uh, about the soul. The soul is, there's a lot of, lot of, lot of things we can talk about with the soul, but um, what happens when we go through life is through our own sin, our own bad decisions, 
Uh, shame, the shame from things we've done, shame from things done to us, us, shame from being around something done that was, that was not good, fear, the lack of control, the anxiety. When those things come and, and, and start to wrap themselves around our soul, what do we do to mitigate it is we create a mask, or in psychology, we'd say it's a, self, a, a, a false self, right? And so the problem is, is that we at the, even the soul level will try to mitigate the pain and the things on the inside by things on the outside. So for example, a mask might be like, I have to look like and be the perfect parent. So that's the mask. And so then if anything violates that mask, we react in horrible like ways. We can be uh, snap at our kids. We can be uh, borderlines. I've seen uh, abuse with our kids. And it's like, we've got to figure out how to get Jesus to heal the things on the inside so that the mask no longer has to be there. Or think about the person that has the mask of, of just success and I have, to, I, have to just, I have to make it and I have to get to the next level. But the problem is all those that behavior is driven by trying to overcome sin, shame, fear on the inside through some external force on the outside. And so here's the interesting thing. As a believer, you are changed. I am changed at the soul level. The key is letting Jesus in to heal the shame, heal the fear. So we no longer have to have the mask as they have in Laodicea to say, oh, I'm good, I'm rich, I've prospered. It's like, no, you're actually unhappy. The things inside of you are driving you away from me and I'm trying to heal it, will you let me in? Or think about if you, you have not decided to follow Jesus yet, it, here's what scripture says, that you haven't been changed at the soul level yet, that you need to follow. If you put your faith in Jesus, he transforms us from the inside out but until you have Jesus, your life will be marked by trying to do something on the outside to try to mitigate what's happening on the inside. And in the reality, we all need an inside job. We need Jesus to transform us from the inside out. This is not about good people getting better. This is about dead people coming alive, amen? And so this is about Jesus coming into our spaces and our places and filling our hearts and addressing the things on the inside so we don't try to solve it away from him. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying you're not effective because you're disconnected from me. He's saying you're not flourishing, you're not fruitful because you're self-sufficient. And so here's what he says. He goes, I counsel you. He doesn't even say I command you. He's like, can I give you some advice? To buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And the people of Laodicea would have been like, man. You're like, can you buy those things from Jesus? No, he's using an illustration. He uses money, he uses uh, white garments and he uses eye salve. The interesting thing about this city is uh, they were a really well-known banking center. Uh, they're doing well financially. They're probably, if you think of some of the best zip codes here uh, in our area, they're, they're in the, their zip code is, is quite nice. But the interesting thing is not only do they have money, the second thing is they were known for their black wool. And I love that Jesus says, I know you're known for your black wool, but you're gonna need my white garments. Then he talks about the eye salve, which is interesting because there in that city, they had a medical facility that was known that people would travel from all over to get their eye salve. 
And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying all that stuff that you have or the things on the outside, they mean nothing because those things in themselves cannot save you. Those things in themselves do not lead you to life. Those things in themselves cannot give you power to live the life you're called to live. And so the mistake and the lie we believe is that our outward success means I'm good on the inside, but Jesus says that's not true. But what does he say? He says, come to me. I love when he said this in Matthew 11. He says uh, one of my favorite verses. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you soul rest. You don't have to perform anymore. You don't have to chase all those things on the outside. You don't have to keep up with the whatever family that has a lot of money at the time, whatever, right? It's like you can get soul rest. Like I'm trying to give this to you. And so Jesus then says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, which is to say, I correct and I train or another way is to say, I, I, I show you where you are and I redirect your paths. He's saying, I'm correcting your self-sufficient attitude, your spiritual pride, and I'm inviting you to walk with me, which leaves me to the antidote. What is the antidote for self-sufficiency? What's the antidote for our pride on a day-to-day basis? It's remembering the gospel. I know that sounds like you're like, please give me something to do. No, no, this, this is the thing. The gospel, a lot of people refer it to it as the ABCs of the Christian faith. Uh, Tim Keller said, no, it's the A to Z. It's the everything. Remember the gospel. The gospel says that you are rich in Christ, that you do have the righteousness of Christ because of you putting your faith in Jesus, that you do see because God has opened your eyes, right? But you have to remember, remember what? The gospel Remember that quote, I've always put it on the board, it says that you and I are more wicked than we'd ever know, yet more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dare hope. And the reality is when you and I can actually embrace the bad news about us, it starts to, it starts to make the forgiveness of God all that much sweeter. When we can really d- just think about, man, I really have some black on my color palette. I really have some, I've, I've got some things in me that need to be worked out. I need some things that need to be, that need to be uh, saved from, all that, right? It's when we focus sometimes and we j- embrace the bad news, it makes the good news so much sweeter, so much sweeter. It reminds me of the woman with the alabaster jar in Matthew 7. Jesus is at this religious dinner. He's at this guy's house. His name's Simon. He's a Pharisee. And Jesus is there. This woman, it says, a woman of the night comes in with her alabaster jar and pours it all out on Jesus' feet. The alabaster jar, in some some people and historians would say, this is similar to a life savings. She's pouring out everything in worship. And all of a sudden, Simon in his mind goes, if Jesus even knew who was touching him, he would have no business with her like right now. Jesus, hearing his, knows his thoughts, goes, Simon, can I, can I uh, ask you a question? He says, sure. So he tells him a story. Essentially, it's this. There's, one, there's two people that owe the master money. One person owes a little. One person owes a lot. The master forgives them both. He says this, Simon, which one do you think had more love for the master? He says, I suppose it would be the one who got forgiven more. He said, Simon, you've answered correctly. 
And then he says this. He says, basically, since I've been here, you've done nothing for me, but, since, but this woman has, has spent her life savings in worship at my feet. And then he says the most fire verse, in my opinion. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, he doesn't, he doesn't mince words, which are many, She's done some things. He's done some things. We've done some things. Are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Realizing how forgiven you and I are are what promotes the love for Jesus in our soul, which creates, which fights against the attitude of pride and self-sufficiency. But for those who have never put their faith in Jesus, when he says, he says, listen, that you need my riches. He's saying you need my white garments. He's saying you need my eyes salve. That's the call to you. But here's the interesting thing. It's about what Jesus says next. He says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, now the individual, hears my voice and opens a door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And when we're talking about believers here, what he is referring to is fellowship. He's saying, hey, there's some areas in your life like that you are self-sufficient in. Maybe it's your entire life, whatever it is, right? He's saying, hey, I'm knocking on the door. Can we just have a meal together? Do you notice that Jesus is not prescribing a ton of uh, religious activities for you to do, but he says, can I just spend time with you at the table? Can we just hang out? I know you've been stressed about that thing. You wanna talk about it? Hey, I know you're feeling shame from that thing. Can I remind you again that you're forgiven? That, 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 that I say that, 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 that shame, I, I've, I took it away on the cross. Can we just sit and talk? And I love what John says this in uh, John 15. He says, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And then he says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Why was the church of Laodicea ineffective? Because they were not abiding in Jesus. And it's not about doing more activities. I'm not trying to heap any burden on you. It is to let Jesus in the door and have a meal with him, which I like food and I would like to kick it with Jesus. I don't know about you. So I'll close with this. Ben, you can come on up. For those who have never put their faith in Jesus, that is the call today. He is saying, behold, I stand outside the door of your soul, of your life, and I am here. Like if anyone, man or woman, hears my voice and opens the door, man, I will do life with them. It's an amazing promise. He, like we said earlier, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you soul rest. That's, that's it. He's not asking you to do anything else. He is saying, just confess your dependence, your sin, and that you are in need of a savior. And so if you want to uh, accept Jesus and to believe in Jesus, maybe for the first time, check out this verse behind me. It says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. What an amazing promise. You can't lose that. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For the believers in the room, remember, you are like you are loved by God. It is all about at this point abiding. Remember, your flourishing and your effectiveness are all gonna be because of your relationship and intimacy with Jesus. But for those of you who've never put your faith in Jesus, if we can bow our heads and close our eyes, I wanna lead you in a prayer uh, if this is your moment. As we just read in the text, you saw it. It said, if you confess with your mouth, and you believe that God raised him the dead, like you will be saved. And so if you've never put your faith in Jesus, there's nothing magical about the words as you already read. He says it himself, like you, you, you might've already made the decision in your heart. And so if you, you wanna, make, wanna make this a moment for you to be like, man, this was the life, this is the day, the moment that I put my faith in Jesus, I want you to pray with me. Say, Father, I am so sorry I have sinned. But Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. And I just ask that you would uh, come into my life. I'm opening the door. Did you decide to follow Jesus while listening to this podcast today? We want to celebrate with you and help you with your next steps. Click the link in the podcast description to get connected with a pastor and your next step. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click that follow button and tune in next week for another great message.